Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you. My name is Alan, and happy pre-Fourth of July weekend. This isn't, this isn't the Fourth of July weekend because Fourth of July is on a Thursday. So is it this weekend or is it next weekend? Or is it both? Let's do both. It's both. This is the first of two Fourth of July weekends that we're going to celebrate. So uh, uh, happy pre-Fourth of July weekend once again. Very glad that you are here. And uh, I see some of you are enjoying the couches. Are you glad to have the couches back? Okay, good. Yeah. I just want to reiterate the rule. This, I say this with great love, but, uh, but um, uh, you can, if you're in any other seat, you can just kind of, I don't know how hard your week is. You can doze off. You can do whatever you want. But if you doze off on a couch, you're mine. Okay, that's the rule. If you doze, if I see you sleeping in a couch, I will come visit you and we're going to have fun together. So, so take a couch, great, enjoy it, lie out on the couch, whatever you want, but uh, that, that's not, that's, there's no sleep zone. Okay, so glad that you're here. Uh, we are continuing this series that we've been in for a number of weeks called The Church of Tomorrow. And what we're doing is we're looking at two letters in the New Testament that a guy named Paul wrote to a young guy named Timothy. Those two letters are referred to in the Bible as 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to young Timothy saying, he's the the new pastor of this church, and he's painting a picture of what the church could look like. And so he's helping Tim understand this, to see what the church of tomorrow could be. And so we're looking at these words and making sure we have an understanding of, of this picture painted in Scripture so that we too can be the church of tomorrow. This series is unique for us as a church in that we are actually doing the same thing here in this room that we're doing in children's. They're going through the same chapter in children's ministry and the same chapter in student ministry. Uh, Hello, high schoolers. Everybody say hello to the high schoolers, okay? Uh, And so they're walking through uh, the same thing here. Essentially what this means is that if you have kids, I'm just looking at a camera. Okay. Uh, If you have kids, then uh, if you don't want to to look foolish at lunch, you want to pay at least a little bit of attention. That's basically what that means, because they might ask some questions, you know, as they're they're going through uh, this stuff as well. How many of you are familiar with or have heard of something in the Bible called the Great Commission? Anybody? Okay. It's a fairly famous section of Scripture. It's found at the very end of the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. It's referred to as the Great Commission because, according to Matthew, these are the last words that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven finally. And he says in Matthew chapter 8, he says, Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and commanding them and teaching them what I have commanded you. And so Jesus says this to, the, to, the, to his disciples, to those who had gathered. This is the great commission. It is great. It is great. Today, we are looking at the last chapter in 1 Timothy. And I believe there is another great commission that we find in this chapter. These words that Paul gave to young Timothy, there's a section of six verses that I want to look at today that are essentially another great commission that Paul offers Timothy. And and this morning, what what I want to invite you to do is to imagine that you are hearing these words as Timothy. Imagine that, that you 
have this new incredible responsibility. He is the young pastor of, of, this, of a church. And there aren't a bunch of other churches in that city. There aren't a bunch of other pastors in, the, in that area. He's, he, there's a whole lot of unknown for him as he's trying to follow God and trust God in this process. Imagine you are hearing these words, reading these words from your mentor, Paul, who's known throughout the area, known throughout the land. Paul writes these words to you. This morning, I don't want to just read them or have us just hear them. I want to imagine what it, been, what it would have been like for Timothy to receive these words, to experience these words from his mentor, Paul. As we head into that experience, would you bow your heads with me? Father, once again, I thank you for your word. I thank you that there are so many levels for us to explore as we choose to follow you. That it's not just a box checked, it's an ongoing journey. So in this step of this ongoing journey, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to be, be attentive to these ancient, beautiful words that Paul wrote to Timothy. God, that you would have them come alive for us, that they would be a significant part of our journey as we enter into this moment of history. I pray that you would enlighten us in a unique way, that each one of us would hear from you in a way that you plan during this hour. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So again, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I invite you to, uh, to go there. It's where we'll spend our time here today. I have taught 1 Timothy chapter 6 a, a few times. The chapter is primarily about money. The first section is, is about money. The first third of, of the chapter is about money. And the last third of the chapter is about money. Uh, 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 so we're going to look at the part in the middle. <laughs> uh, but, but most of this chapter is, uh, is about money. In, in verse 9 of this chapter, um, uh, Paul uh, says, well, in, uh, sorry, in, in the last third section, this is, where, this is where Paul says, Timothy, command those who are rich to not put their hope in their wealth. So Timothy, you're about to lead this group of people. You're leading this group of people. Command those who are rich. I actually uh, taught on that last fall in a two-week series called Be Rich. And uh, that's available uh, on our website, mountainpark.org. And so you can go to that if you'd like and check it out. Although I am not under the illusion that anybody is ever going to look for a series on money somewhere from a year ago. I, 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 but it's there. I just want to let you know that it is there. Um, uh, but, but, but sandwiched in between there, in between this first third and, and last third, are these six verses that we want to take a look at today. Sandwiched in between there is this great commission that Paul gives to Timothy. It begins in verse 8, and, uh, sorry, verse 11. And at the beginning of this verse, Paul says, but you, but you. And he's flowing out of this, this section where he talks about Money. Verse 9 is where he says, he just reminds us that, that we have this natural desire towards money, towards the, the things of this, uh, of this world uh, and, that, and what money can provide for us, etc. And that that natural desire 
can lead us to make harmful and foolish decisions. Can any of you relate to that? He talks about this in verse 9. And then he says in verse 10, these words that many of us uh, are familiar with, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is not the root of all evil. It's a root of all kinds of evils. It is, it is essentially what Paul is saying here is, is that we have to choose. We cannot pursue both our faith and money and what the world has to offer. We, we just have to choose. That's what DeAndre and Jan were leading us through. Just this, just this reminder that we, not only do we get to choose, we have to choose because we can't effectively pursue both of those things. That Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. And I think Paul agrees with Jesus on that. I think Paul agrees with Jesus that money is a beast. It's a necessity. It is, it is the way we do life. It is necessary in terms of how we function, etc. But it's a beast. Jesus talks about money a whole lot because it is the number one competitor for our hearts, for our attention, for our time, etc., so Jesus is unafraid to address this topic. Paul is unafraid to, to address this topic. And Paul, I'm, I'm not talking about money today. Paul says, Paul says, but you, Timothy, I want you to pursue something different. I want you to go after something different. So here is the beginning of this great commission section. But you, man of God, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. But you flee from all of that stuff, all of that temptation, all that spins around there. Paul likes the word flee. He uses it uh, elsewhere. He likes this word. It's just don't, don't stand on the edge. Don't dance real close. Don't walk, just making sure you're just right off the edge. Don't do that. Don't, don't kind of stay and watch and see what happens. Don't see if you can touch it. Paul says, flee. Just, just, just get away from this whole thing. Flee from it. It will take you down. It will destroy you from being the man, the woman that you want to be. Flee from, from all of this stuff. Because what happens is that many times we see the lure of the world. We see the lure of money or other things. And we just, we stare at it long enough and we just decide it's worth the risk. We just decide it's worth the consequences. It's like an experienced fish saying to a younger fish, Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, the experienced fish says, I've been around, I've been around, I've made a few mistakes. Don't do it. And then the little fish, the younger fish, says, but, but it looks so shiny. It looks so yummy. It looks so tasty. And the big fish says, don't do it. Swim away, little fish. 
Don't take the bait. Don't do it. Flee from this stuff. And, and, and Paul does, does, when he says flee, it's not just that you, you flee, you turn around and you just swim randomly in whatever direction. Because what can happen then is you just, okay, I'll flee from that, and you run into a bunch of other stuff. Paul doesn't just say flee in any direction, run away randomly in any direction. He says, he says run to something. And he says, and he tells us to run to these six words. He says, run to righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Run to these six words. The first two words on this, on this list, that's the destination. Run to righteousness and godliness. Now, you will never be righteous. You will never be ultimately godly. But that's the direction we head. That's the destination. That's Jesus. Jesus is those things. And so we say, I'm going to run to, I'm going to move in that direction. There's a whole lot of, I'm going to flee from this, and that's the direction I'm going to head. In, in that direction, I'm going to run to Jesus. The second set of words here, this is the vehicle. We, we, in order to get there, we need faith and love. This is how we get to that destination. This is how we make our journey towards that destination. We prioritize faith. And we say, you know what? I got a lot of things vying for my time, vying for my attention, my affection, etc. And I'm prioritizing faith. Over the shiny objects of life, I'm prioritizing faith. That's the vehicle that will get you to that direction. And I'm prioritizing love. When in doubt, love. When there's, when there's questions about how am I supposed to respond, how am I supposed to react, love. When in doubt, that's the vehicle that gets us where we want to go. How am I supposed to respond to my parents at this stage of life? How am I supposed to respond to my parents when they are saying stuff that just doesn't make any sense? Love. Start with love. Okay. How am I supposed to respond to my spouse when, when I'm, just, I'm just so emotionally charged in this conversation? Prioritize love. How am I supposed to respond to my kids, to my boss, to my friends, to the person who cuts me off? Love. We prioritize love. That's the vehicle that gets us to the destination that we want to go. And then the third set of words here, these two are the luggage that we take with us. On this trip, we take endurance and gentleness. We carry those things with us, and we get in that vehicle, and we head in that direction. We take endurance because every time we go on this journey, there will be times where we get weary we get tired, we start to question, we start to doubt, we stop, we pause, we take a break, and we wonder, should I turn around and go back? And so the luggage that we take is endurance, and then we also take patience. Uh, we also take gentleness. We also take gentleness. We, when we get in, in that vehicle and go on that journey, we're always doing it with other people, and no one wants to take a long drive with a raging lunatic. I mean, that's... 
Can we agree on that? And so, you know, when you get in the car and you're interacting with other people, you bring gentleness into that journey. You bring those things with you, you get in that vehicle and head in that direction as you flee from this stuff over here. And Paul continues in this great commission. And then says in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. I want to stop there for just a minute. Fight the good fight of the faith. Paul says to Timothy, this young leader, there will be opposition. There will be non-Christian opposition from those who are threatened by the story and the calling of Jesus. There will be Christian opposition from those who do not feel like you are fit to be in that role. There will be spiritual opposition from an enemy who knows what you are capable of when you continue on that path and fears what you are capable of, there will be opposition, Timothy. So fight the good fight. Paul says to this young pastor, you're not not supposed to be there as a doormat for everyone else in the church. You're not supposed to just be nice. Jesus isn't calling you, Timothy, to be nice. He's calling you to fight. Oftentimes, those who are exploring the Christian faith or rejecting the Christian faith get this one a little bit wrong, get this one a little bit mixed up, and think that Christian equals nice. And That's unappealing for many because nice guys finish last. Paul writes to Timothy and says, Christian equals fight the good fight. Because those who are fighting the good fight, we all fight plenty in in, in poor ways. You fight the good fight and you make a difference in your family. You make a difference in the church. You make a difference in the community. You make a difference in the world. You fight the good fight. You're not just nice You're fighting the good fight. So Timothy, when you experience opposition, don't doubt that you're on the right path. (laughs) That, That the role God has for you will experience opposition. Don't be surprised when it's difficult. Don't be surprised when it's difficult. And then he continues there in verse 12. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Timothy, remember remember your calling. When things get difficult, when you get worn out, when you just want to take a pause on the side of the road, when you're tempted to go back, when the temptations feel overwhelming, when things are not going the way you want them to go, pause. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Hang on to that eternal life peace. I think most, if not all, of our sin, of our struggles, of our wayward decision-making, 
they, they, they flow from either, either forgetting or doubting that there really is any eternal life thing that exists. That when we sin, when we stumble, when we choose this path instead of the path that God has for us, it's, it's, it's as if we're just, we just forget this whole bigger picture thing. We just forget this whole eternal life thing. Most, if not all, of our sin flows from our doubt that there really is this eternal life thing. Let me, most of this chapter, Paul is talking about money. So let me give you a money illustration. Imagine you have a rich uncle. Many of us dream of this anyway. So it's an easy one. It's an easy one. Imagine you have a rich, a filthy rich uncle who's about to die and has told you specifically that you will get 10 million dollars, okay? It's 10 million dollars is yours. The way you live the rest of your life will be shaped by the level of confidence you have in that 10 million dollars coming to you. Some people will be, you know, change differently. Some people think differently. But the way you live the rest of your life, however many years you have left, it will be shaped by the level of confidence you have that that $10 million is actually going to come. If there's low confidence in that actually happening, then you would likely say, yeah, thanks, uncle. I'll believe it when I see it. And you would say, I'm not going to change what I'm doing. I'm not going to change my job. I'm not going to have any impact on my savings. I'm not going to buy that boat, uh, the the overpriced boat. I'm just kind of believe it when I see it. That's a low confidence that it's actually going to happen. If you have high confidence that it's actually going to happen, that's when your dreams go beyond the rich uncle. And you perhaps think about going into your boss's office and singing just a few lines of that Johnny Paycheck song. <laughs> Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. I know we've all dreamed of that. I was looking at that song yesterday, and uh, I think my wife got a little bit worried. She thought I was going to make an announcement today, but that's, uh, that's, it's all good. It's all good. It's, it's just, if you have a high confidence level that, that your uncle is getting close and that that money is actually going to happen, then that would likely have an impact on some of your decisions. That might have an impact on what you do with your current savings. You currently have X number of dollars saved. And you think, why am I worried about that money? I'm going to enjoy that money. Now, you might even, well, first of all, you're going to tithe on that money. I know you would. That would be awesome. (laughs) And then secondly, you might look at the church and you might just go, you know what? I'm going to volunteer in a full-time way and do what I really want to do, helping people or making an impact on people. You might say, I don't need to work anymore. I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. You might actually make some changes because your confidence is high that that money's actually going to come in. The level of confidence you have in that actually happening shapes how you live your life. And I think the same thing is true in terms of eternal life. That when we cheat and lie and hide, when we feel like we're actually getting away with something because no person found out, when we just subtly but intentionally continue to flirt 
with someone who's married to someone else or you're married and you're flirting with somebody else? When we're comparing ourselves with one another, then we're acting as if this is all the existence that is actually happening. These 70, 80, 90 years, whatever number of years we have, we're acting as if this is all we have. This is all that exists. Eternal life is some concept in Scripture, but, but we're acting as if it's not really going to happen. And so during our time here, we're going to grab all that we can. We're going to make the most of every moment opportunity, even if we have to kind of shave our morality a little bit, because we want to maximize what's going on here. Paul says to Timothy, just, just remember your confession. Remember your, your, your core belief in what the grand story is, that you have a role now and that there is a much bigger, longer story going on, on around you. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everyone and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's talking to Timothy about this confession. And what's interesting is that Jesus himself makes a confession. Jesus made a confession. Paul's referring to this experience uh, near the end of Jesus' life, right before his crucifixion, when he stands before Pontius Pilate. This is a story that is recorded in all four Gospels. There are not a lot of stories that are recorded in all four Gospels where Jesus stands before the authority, the earthly authority, who says to him, are you the king of the Jews? Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Christ? And Jesus says, yes, I am. This is his confession. Yes, I am who you say I am. Jesus makes a good confession, makes a confession. Jesus himself makes a confession. Paul's talking to Timothy about remember your confession. Have you made a confession? Going to church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Have you made a confession like Timothy, like Paul, like Jesus himself? Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever made this public declaration before a group of people to say, I'm I'm not just thinking about this anymore. I am this. I'm a Christian. That's basically the same thing as what Jesus, Jesus says, I am Christ. And our version of that is, I am a Christian. The word Christian literally means little Christ. It was meant as a derogatory term at first. They're just a bunch of little Christs. But those little Christs liked the word and embraced it and said, yeah, I want to be a little Christ. 
So this is a confession to say, I am a little Christ. I am a follower of Jesus. So have you ever made that confession? This morning we've been talking about these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. These ancient words that Paul the mentor, who was still traveling, writes to Timothy, who's there in Ephesus. Says, Timothy, you have a calling here to make a difference in this church, to make a difference in this city. As we've looked at the previous chapter, Paul or Timothy, you, you have a calling to pour into and invest in young people in the next generation. Timothy, you have a calling to learn from the previous generation, to learn from those who have more wisdom than you. And which of those things that I just said are you exempt from? You're there to make a difference. You're there to invest in young people. You're there to learn from older folks. Which of those things are 2,000 years ago from Paul to Timothy and don't have anything to do with you? Which of those things are you exempt from? What if, what if this great commission is not just intended for, intended for Timothy? What if this great commission is not just something that is for pastors of churches? What if these words from Paul, these ancient words, are directed to you? What if this great commission, it's another great commission, it's not the Matthew 28 great commission, but what if these words are intended for you? What I want to do here as we close this morning is I want to commission some of you in this room with these ancient words of Paul. In just a minute, I'm going to ask if any or some or many of you would stand up in just a minute, not right now, would you stand up and allow these words intended from Paul to Timothy to be spoken from God to you here today, that you would be commissioned as not just an attender of church, but as a role player in God's amazing story. Maybe you, for the first time, are realizing today that this scripture stuff is not just something we read and learn from and kind of balance with other philosophies that are bouncing around, but that you have a role to play in this grand story. Maybe you are realizing that for the first time and ready to be commissioned into that role. Or maybe you know that you have a role to play in your home, at work, in your community, here in the church. You know, but you've kind of drifted from it. You just, you know in your head, but your, your experience right now is just kind of, you're just wandering a little bit. Or maybe you just feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I, I don't know why, but I, I feel like I, I'm, I need to be commissioned into something. And, and maybe that would feel like your reason to stand up and say, I, I, I want to be more attentive to what the Holy Spirit is inviting me to, calling me to, commissioning me to, whether that's a vocational change, whether that's an invitation into, 
into a, a, a deeper role of ministry, full-time ministry or whatever. And before we do that, I just want to remind you, this is a safe place. This room is a safe place. That it's not those who stand are the spiritual ones, and those who choose not to stand are the lowlifes. Okay, it's not that. It's not, we're not going to kind of look around, who's standing? Who's not standing? That's not what it is. And it flip side, it's not those who stand are the newbies, and those who sit are the veterans. Oh, good for them, good for them. That's not what this is. This is not at all about what, every, what anyone is doing around you. This is not at all about that. It's about you. It's about you and your creator and whether or not this is a moment for you to be commissioned into the calling, the role that God has for you. So, I want to read these words over you, and I want to ask if any of you would stand as I do that. If you would, just go ahead and stand now. If you feel like you're ready to, to stand to be a leader, to be a servant in the kingdom of God, bless you guys. Embrace these words, these words from Paul inspired by God. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and to Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. God, I pray for all men and women standing right now. I pray that these words would would resonate in their hearts, that these words, they would go home, read them again, that they would, they would have some sense of an increased calling. You're commissioning them. You're not just asking them to get through life, to, to build a family, to build a, a business, to, that you're asking them to play a significant role in your story. So God, would you shed light on that journey? Would you help all of us to bring the right luggage in the right vehicle and head in the right direction? We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.